great. So, uh, because I'm on radio, this week I had the opportunity to talk to author Tim Keller, and he just wrote a book on preaching. And I said, Dr. Keller, what, how do you make a good sermon? How can you ensure your sermon is good? And he said, you cannot make the spirit come to the people. You can only invite. So you have to build the best altar that you can build and just pray and invite the spirit to come. So today, let me tell you, I worked hard on this altar. <laughs> um, probably harder than I have in the past. So that's all I can do. I built my altar and now I just pray that the spirit comes upon us. So. Um, we're talking about, Troy's been talking about uh, the healthy vital signs of a church, right? Is that the, the true name? The healthy vital signs of a church, and he's talked about uh, uh, compassion and loving mercy, and last week we talked about spiritual gifts and how each one of us has gifts that we can bring to the community and uh, make that part of a healthy church. But I want to know from you, what do you think of when you think of a healthy church? So think about that. Healthy church, what comes into your mind? When you think church, is the picture a building or is the picture a congregation of people? When you think of a healthy church, is it a place where you go and you have to get there 30 minutes early so you can find a seat and there's traffic cops directing cars where to go? We should try that. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> Or is it a place like ours where you're sure to find a parking place even if you get here half an hour late? <laughs> I'm all for that. Um, is it a place where we kind of talk and worship and you go home? Or is it a place where at the end of the sermon, the preacher invites you up to the front to ask you if you've been saved? And then we count how many that is and put that in the newsletter for the week. Is a healthy church for you a safe place to come? each time we're together, or is it a place where you come hidden, where you're afraid that people will judge you and point fingers at you and say negative things to you, where you leave feeling worse than you did when you came in? What is a healthy church to you? Well, if you've been paying attention to any sort of, well, news, really, even, even mainstream news has had this on, the Pew Research Study has come on about Christianity. And if you've been paying attention, Christianity is going down in percentages in America. And people are freaking out about it, right? Like, what? We're losing Christians and people are leaving the churches. So people are stopping and asking, what are we doing wrong? Why are people leaving Christianity? Why are they leaving the church? So I did read an article in Huffington Post about how some pastors are going forth and trying to win people back to their churches, and I'd like to share some of those stories with you. Pastor Lawrence Bishop, the second of Solid Rock Church in Monroe, Ohio, was willing to be bruised and trampled by a bull named Bone Crusher in order to spread the gospel. The cowboy pastor transformed his church into a bull ring on a recent Wednesday night, ABC reports. Bishop managed to hold on to the raging bull for about three seconds before being bucked to the ground. Then he climbed on the stage and gave a sermon. After this wild ride, at least 300 new believers responded to Bishop's altar call and were baptized that night. So awesome, huh? He has it going on. In an effort to reach unchurched rednecks, the Kentucky Baptist Convention hosted the Second Amendment Celebration 
during which churches served steak and gave away guns as door prizes. <laughs> Chuck McAllister, a former pastor and traveling evangelist who presided over the events, called his strategy affinity evangelism because it used a common interest to attract potential converts and turn them into a community. The tactic reportedly brought in more than 1,500 men to make professions of faith in 2013. Okay, more believers. There are hundreds of churches across the country that are incorporating MMA fights into their men's ministries. MMA fights, you guys, what does that stand for? It's not worldwide wrestling, what's it? What is it? Oh, mixed martial arts, okay. Well, maybe that's better. Um, <laughs> Some churches offer fight viewings while others host bloody MMA battles on church property. Even though Jesus instructed his disciples to turn the other cheek rather than use violence, some pastors look into the mythical fighting prowess of biblical leaders like David and Samson as examples. So I think for all of us that have our church to grow, we need to encourage Troy to pick one of these things. <laughs> I asked Troy, I did ask Troy if we could do YouTube and Present. I was going to show you a video um, along in the story. It was a, a pastor who preached a sermon on the impossible and then got into a car where it exploded and then he escaped unscathed. So maybe we'll do that. that would be <laughs> I don't like any of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> These were, they have believers. Um, Sometimes in marriage counseling, when you go to a marriage counselor and you are so sick of your spouse, They'll have you stop for a moment and they'll say, wait, go back to the beginning. What was it that attracted you to each other in the first place? So I thought that for today, we could kind of go back to the beginning. What was it that the church was supposed to be? Where did this all start? And how did we get to people riding bulls on a Wednesday night to attract altar call believers? But before we do that, I need to pray. So, will you join me? Holy God, I pray just for a moment of stillness, for a chance for all of us to invite you into our hearts today, Lord. Take away the distractions of what need to happen this afternoon or what we need to do for this week, Lord, and help us concentrate on the words that you're trying to speak. Father, personally, I ask that my words are not important, but it's your words that come out today. I need you to make this message yours and not mine. Help us learn, Lord, and help us worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm not lying about this being one of the hardest talks that I've ever had to prepare. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about a healthy church and the passion of the first disciples when they started the church um, and the happiness they had, uh, the love they had for Jesus. But the problem is the first church takes up the book of Acts. I would love to preach the book of Acts. And so as I prepared this sermon for weeks, I kept having to pare it down and pare it down and pare it down. The hard part is Acts is such a beautiful, historical, inspiring book that you all have a homework assignment this week. You're going to read the book of Acts. You hear me? I think that I'm, I'm even talking to Troy. I want Troy to do like a, we could spend like a summer, a year on just Acts and how important it is. So this sermon is kind of like a cliff note of the cliff note 
of acts. Okay, so you got that. So we are totally skimming the surface, and I hate to do it, but there are some important things that I do want to get in. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote Acts kind of just as a continuation. He wrote the book, the gospel book uh, for, as you, oh, it's okay, you can put it up there. <laughs> um, as you can see, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, how do you say it, Theophilus? Theophilus, that's, okay, I was right. In my former book, Theophilus, he wrote uh, his gospel as well for this. So he's just kind of continuing the story of Jesus. So uh, remember, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. I don't know if you remember that or if this is new information for you. Uh, he was a doctor. He was a scientist. So that's where his line of writing is coming from. He followed Peter and Paul in their ministry after Jesus had ascended. So he's getting a lot of his stories from Peter and Paul. He's been around. He, was, he gives some First Testament accounts in Acts. So that's where we have it. Oh, can I stop one second? I'm sorry. Kids and teenagers, I know you're in here today, and I know that it's like probably the last place that you want to be. So I am going to try to make this fun, but I probably won't get there. So if you feel like you have to walk around, if you're getting bored, whatever, I'm okay with it. Everybody got it? Good? Okay. Because, oh my gosh, I want you to learn, but sometimes you learn better while you're drawing or walking around, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> or giving me dirty looks. <laughs> All right. Okay. Back to Acts. Um, let's read it together. Acts 1, 1 through 10. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because remember, they kept asking him in his ministry, Okay, if you're the king, are you going to save us now? Are you going to, be, are you going to lead us away from Rome? Remember, that was a question that they kept asking and asking. So now, okay, Lord, you died, you rose again, you're back, we see you. Now is the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Would this freak you out a little bit? Jesus came, he taught, he was their best friend, died, it was sad. He came back, he was happy, he was weird because nobody comes back from the dead. He's around for 40 days, eating with them, hanging out with them, and all of a sudden he gives them this message and then he's gone. That had freaked you out a little bit, right? But they knew, they knew that everything he had said was true 
Everything he had taught was true, and they knew from this. In our next slide, we're going to just concentrate on one particular verse in this passage. And does the next slide have Acts 1-8 on it? There it is. This is what we're going to look at for a while. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jewish literature connects the Holy Spirit with the power to prophesy or speak for God. The Holy Spirit is big all through the Old Testament and big in the New. Uh, you can read through those, just go in your concordance and read Holy Spirit, and he goes in there. But never before has the Holy Spirit been promised to a group of people, right? I mean, it's always like been one instance where he's been present, where the Spirit has been present Jesus gave directions for the church in this verse, I believe. The church began with the few, not just the disciples, but remember, there were lots of people following around Jesus in his ministry. So there were people who saw the signs, who heard his teaching. These, this, this is the group that he wants to start his church with. He promised them the Holy Spirit. He promised them that they would have the Spirit as they went out to witness other people. I bet you they're sitting around thinking, what is he talking about? Like, how, how is that even possible? Unvirtuous Abby is a Facebook satire religious page that I follow. And the other day on Facebook, they put 8.7 seconds, the amount of time it took from Jesus' ascension into heaven until the disciples started arguing about hymns. <laughs> So I can just imagine these guys watching Jesus go to heaven, Jesus saying, you are my witnesses. Last week, liturgical churches in America celebrated Pentecost. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It's the time where they go back and they read Acts 2, when they found out what happened when the Holy Spirit came. Now this could be a double sermon series in itself. So homework time, you are going to go read Acts 2 after church today and find out what really happened. But in a nutshell, people from all over, all different languages, everything, were in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit came down upon them, and all of a sudden they could understand each other. And all of a sudden what looked like tongues of fire was above everybody's head, and the wind was strong, and something was going on. And other people looked at them saying, are you guys drunk? Because everybody's talking really weird and can't understand you. And they're saying, uh, we're not drunk because it's, what, 11 o'clock in the morning. We don't drink in the morning, duh. And so this huge thing happened, this huge that never happened before, a miracle. Uh, uh, what would you guys do? What would you do if right now we just started, well, we all speak English. What happens if, you know, you're downtown and all of a sudden everybody understands each other? I don't know. It's a bad example. Go to, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but everybody from every language is understanding each other. So today, last week was Pentecost, the church's birthday. Today is Trinity Sunday in the liturgical church. And so it's where you talk about God and Jesus and the Spirit. And so today we are going to concentrate on the Holy Spirit and how important the Spirit is in having a healthy and vital church. So what happened after that big crazy thing where the Holy Spirit came down and all of a sudden where people were talking to each other and understanding each other? Peter stood up and gave a sermon, reciting the book of Joel and words of Daniel. He's claiming all this Old Testament prophecy has now been fulfilled. The group went along, and you remember um, the unfortunate thing that happened with Judas? Yes? Yeah. He wasn't, 
there anymore. Um, so Judas did what he had to do with Jesus. They replaced, the disciples replaced him with Matthias. They got together as a group and they said, the Holy Spirit has come down just like Jesus planned. What now? What are we going to do? He said, be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, into the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles because of the Spirit. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first church fellowshiped together. The first church ate together. The first church sold all their belongings to help people in need. They acted like a big, huge family. I said about this Pew Research study where bloggers and preachers and everybody is just freaking out all over the place about the Christianity going down in America. What does that mean? Well, one of the things that they talk about is the nun zone. We are part of the nun zone, everyone in the Pacific Northwest. The nun zone means on a survey, when you check off your religious affiliation, you have Christian or evangelical or whatnot, but at the end, none. None of the above. So more people check off none in the Pacific Northwest than in any other place in the country. Congratulations. We have a reputation. The nun zone. So I talked with Chris James. He's an instructor at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary. And Chris James is doing his doctoral dissertation on the nun zone. He is studying our area very carefully about the churches that are surviving and the new churches that are popping up. The new churches that are popping up and succeeding are looking a heck of a lot like those early churches. They don't look like in a normal building. In fact, one church sold their building. Just imagine a building like ours. They sold it. And on Sunday nights, they rent out space in a community center and they have dinner together. They just have dinner and anybody's welcome. They make the dinner, they eat the dinner, somebody might be playing some worship songs, and then there's a 10-minute, 15-minute teaching on the Bible. That looks a heck of a lot like the early church, doesn't it? And guess what? Those are the churches right now that are gaining in membership. They look just like those early churches. <sighs> Back to the beginning. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of earth. Oh, we can go back to that other one. The, can we put Acts 1-8 there? Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Perfect. Jerusalem. For the apostles, for the disciples, this is what they knew. This is where they grew up in. This is where they were raised. This was comfortable. This was their own church. That is Jerusalem. Judea. Judea is the community around them. Samaria. We'll get into that later. Samaria is where they don't want to go, and we'll talk about that, and the ends of earth. So if we look at it this way and apply this to our lives, Jerusalem is our local church. We're witnessing to our local church. We're witnessing to where we're comfortable, to our families, to everybody in this room. In this room, are we here for each other? Are we a church that supports one another? Are we a congregation of people that supports one another? I think we are. 
I think a healthy and vital church for us, for anyone, is a safe place to come. And I'm just going to go on a limb and say Kaleo is a safe place to be. I would hope that's true for all of you. I've been, and if you've been watching the news, you see uh, TLC's 19 Kids and Counting. Please tell me everybody knows what's going on there. Yes, kids in the room. So just going to go ahead and say that there's been some abuse going on in the church. Now, there's abuse going on in lots of churches, not just with the Duggar family, okay? The Duggars happen to be on TV. So when they do something, it gets nationally on the news, on CNN, not just religious news, but there are a lot of abuse cases in churches, okay? Church, remember, safe place. Safe place. How many people go to church and they're not in a safe place? That's ridiculous, yes? I mean, I hope that you agree with me. Look at this. We have children in our room today. We have children in our room. They are important. This is who we're witnessing to. And if there is abuse in church, or if you know anybody with abuse in church, please, please consider praying that they get out. Okay? Churches think that they're healthy when they're covering up secrets. They think they're healthy when they're protecting the violator. I'm not saying violators don't deserve mercy. They do. But victims deserve to be heard, and they deserve to be healed. And that is just on my heart this week as I read that, and I think the churches need to be a safe place. That's your healthy and vital church. Matt Chandler, villain way of his art here, but they turned me on to Matt Chandler, a big church in uh, Texas. Matt Chandler has 11,000 people at his church. Is that a healthy church? Probably, maybe. Um, they made a really stupid decision in the last week, a really, really dumb decision as a church. Uh, and the internet, of course, flared up after seeing it. But here's what happened a couple days later. A couple days later, they went back on the internet and they apologized and they said, we are sorry for the stupid decision we made. We acted out of, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> we acted instinctively, I don't know, too fast. They acted too fast without thinking about it. So they apologized nationally. They apologized to their congregation. And here's what I want to say about that. That might be the sign of a healthy church. Churches are going to make mistakes because we're full of people. But an apology? goes a long, long way. Getting people help and an apology goes a long, long way. So I just wanted to leave you with that, that there are churches who make mistakes, but they come back and they apologize. They right the wrong. Let's look at Judea. Jesus said, you guys are going to go to Jerusalem, but you're also going to go to Judea. Now, the disciples and the apostles were comfortable in Judea. This is their home. This is where Jerusalem is. I'm going to read, it's not up here. I'm just going to read really fast for you Acts 3. And you may even know the song if you have little kids. Um, One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold have I none, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. 
Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. With the Spirit, Peter and John were walking by. Can you imagine walking by downtown Portland and seeing, you know, you see people on the streets there asking for money all the time. Can you imagine going up to one of them and saying, I don't have any money, but I'm going to heal you of everything that is wrong with you right now. So whether it's addiction or whether you just need a house, I'm going to heal you via the Spirit. Can you imagine what that person might do? That person might be really excited and tell them what's happening. Now, I am not saying as much as we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, I'm not saying that I can heal somebody's leg or heal somebody to make them walk. But there are a ton of things that we can do with the Holy Spirit. Can we feed those who are hungry? Yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we care for the orphans and the widows? Can we stop sex trafficking? Sorry, I know there's kids in here. Darn it. You'll have to tell them what that is later. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I was going to... Can we stop that? And my guess, my hope is yes. And yes, it's overwhelming. And that's why we need the power of the Spirit. But can we stop it? We can. Can we be a support for broken families? We can. When we first started Kaleo, Troy said... I want Kaleo to be a place where the community will miss us if we go away. Are we that? Are we that to the community? If we shut down today and we said, sorry guys, lights are out. We're no longer here. Will anybody be missing us? Will anybody be missing Kaleo? I'm going to go ahead and say that there might be a few missing Kaleo. We've seen the fruits of what has happened when we work with Catalyst. Right? Every time we work with catalysts or go fix somebody's yard or fence or house, they know why we're there. They know we're there in the name of Jesus Christ. And we've even had some people ask about the church and ask about Jesus because of it. What's the other thing? Uh, life change. Christy and Stephanie and some other. And Tori, are you over at Life Change too? Some, okay. Some of us are at Life Change, and Life Change knows who we are. And Life Change knows that we'll come, and some will tutor, and some will throw parties. And they know who Cleo is. Home Plate loves our chicken bowls. If we did not go to Home Plate every first Wednesday of the month, they would they miss our chicken bowls anyway, even when we're not there the other weeks. Why do we do it? We do it because we love Jesus. We do it because we want to show others Jesus' love. A healthy and vital church will minister to the neighborhood around them, just like the apostles did back then. Now, as the witnessing happened and, and kept going, uh, they were like a church. The needs grew. People kept coming and growing. And so the apostles actually took on more holy men to help them in the process. So they have their first church staff. That's what I'm calling it, their first church staff. But life wasn't easy. This isn't something like, hey, Jesus left. I'm going to go tell everybody about his love, and we will all sing Kumbaya. It was the opposite of that. Jews were mad that they were preaching something that wasn't right. People were being persecuted everywhere. They were being spat at. A man named Stephen, who preached the gospel and preached Jesus' love, wouldn't take back what he said, so they stoned him to death. The man died. If you are part of Jesus' group, 
you love and you believe so much that you're willing to be stoned to death. Think about that. Think about our belief. Sometimes I say yes, I would be stoned to death. Sometimes I have my doubts. It wasn't easy for them. There was a man named Saul, kind of a jerk, Jewish leader, who was in charge of persecuting and making sure all these new Christians died. That was his life's goal, to make sure that they perished so that this message about Jesus Christ couldn't get out. We'll talk more about Saul in a little bit. He said, go to Judea and Samaria. What do you think they thought of? What do you think those apostles thought of when Jesus said, go to Samaria? Does it mean anything to you right now? Because they hated each other. Samaritans hated the Jews. Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, if you're a Jew and you are going to travel north, even though Samaria is right above you, you will go around. So their GPS units, they have a little thing. I'm going north, but please avoid Samaria. So it would do that, just like your freeway, right? Avoid Samaria. That's how much they hated each other. But thanks to Saul and thanks to people dying because they believed in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, apostles needed to leave Jerusalem. They needed to get out. And they needed to get out quick. So Samaria was right there. Well, Jesus said, you are going to be my witnesses in Samaria. There was a man on the church staff, a new man named Philip. And Philip went into Samaria. And as he went into Samaria, he preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of these Samaritans started believing. They started wanting to know more and more. This is huge. They hate each other. Okay? They hate each other. But some of the Samaritans started to believe. One day, mind you, this is after the period of many years. It doesn't happen boom, boom, boom. This did not happen in two weeks. One day, the angel of the Lord came to Philip and said, Hey, why don't you go to the desert outside of Samaria? You're going to see somebody there. You're going to see an Ethiopian. I want you to go pay attention to him. So Philip goes into the desert, not knowing what to expect. And he sees some holy people, a holy, uh, holy uh, entourage, if you will. And in this entourage is somebody in a carriage, in a coach, reading the book of Isaiah. When Philip goes closer to hear who is reading these scriptures, it turns out it's an Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch. Okay? Everybody know what a eunuch is? I know there's some kids who might not. I'll let you explain. <laughs> Here's the thing about eunuchs. Eunuchs uh, weren't allowed really to worship in the temple of God because they are not perfect. They have been deformed in a way. So Jews looked at them. Um, I, later on, they were detested in, in early Torah. But as we go on, Isaiah shows them compassion. Daniel may have been a eunuch himself. Um, but they weren't looked at as perfect and holy and pleasing to God. So when Philip came up and discovered that this was an Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah from Acts 8.34, the eunuch asked Philip, they talked to each other, and Philip said, hey, what are you reading? Why are you reading that? He's like, well, I'm reading this, but I don't know what it means. So then Philip, this happens. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? 
Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Can you imagine what Philip thought at that moment? Growing up a Jew and thinking that eunuchs may be a little bit unclean. But he said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Philip grew up thinking eunuchs were not worthy of entering the assembly of God. This was his life that he learned from his parents, most likely. And here's an Ethiopian eunuch saying, Hey, this Jesus sounds awesome. I want to be baptized. Look, there's water. Baptize me. Here's what Philip did not do. Philip did not say, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Hold on. Let me ask my friend. We're going to go take a vote, and we'll see if we feel like that's, that's an okay thing to do to baptize you. Philip didn't hesitate. Philip didn't think, ah, I'm clean, I'm clean, what did I do? What did Philip do? Philip said, yeah, sure, good news of Jesus, go baptize him. And that, as a result, made the Ethiopian believe in Jesus Christ. And what did the Ethiopian do? He went back to Ethiopia, and he shared the news of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, there was a church in Ethiopia because Philip didn't doubt God. Philip said, yes, you want Jesus, I will give you Jesus. And that is what I think a healthy and vital church needs to be. I think a healthy and vital church is dependent on accepting anyone into the family of Jesus who wants to believe in Jesus, who loves Jesus and who believes and says, yes, I want this in my life. So (laughs) if you're new to church, I don't know if anybody is here for the first time, or if you've ever felt unwelcome at another church. I know because these guys are my family, Kaleo is my family, I know you will not feel that way. I know that if you are here in this room right now, that we live this as a group. I'm just going to go out and say that because we love people who love Jesus or want to know Jesus. So if you are ever at a church where you're feeling unwelcome or that you're not worthy to be there, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not the example of a healthy and vital church. If you believe in Jesus, you need to be where people will welcome you into the family. The ends of the earth. All right, I'm winding down. The ends of the earth. Here's where the Holy Spirit is probably the most evident and where I cannot preach to you right now because that would take a whole two weeks. Paul. Paul. The Holy Spirit touched Paul. Remember Saul, the jerk Jewish leader who was stoning and killing Christians? Yeah, he was walking one day, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus, came down and blinded him. And it's a whole miracle witness thing. Please read Acts for your homework assignment. But basically, Paul sees Jesus. Paul is blinded. And when Paul is not blinded anymore and believes, Paul becomes the biggest megaphone spokesperson for Jesus Christ that you've probably ever met in your life. Now, oh, Paul. Paul was the guy who was killing people. So all of a sudden he has this conversion and he goes back to Jerusalem and says, Hey, I believe in Jesus now. How do you think people felt? You think they were like, cool, come over for dinner. No, they were scared to death. The Christians didn't want, the new Christians, they didn't call themselves that. The Jesus-believing Jews didn't want anything to do with him because he's scary and he killed their friends. 
the actual Jews didn't want anything to do with him because he's speaking some weird stuff. He's been teaching us all this, and now he's changing his mind. What's that about? Paul left. Paul left Jerusalem. And if you know about Paul, and if you can go and read Acts, a lot of bad stuff happened to Paul. Paul was shipwrecked, not once, but a few times. He was beaten and left for dead a lot of times. He was imprisoned a ton. The guy, one of those things happens to me, I'm out. That's my, that's my life story right there. Oh, I went to jail that one time. No, this happened over and over and over. But what happened when he did this and he got shipwrecked and he got in prison is he would talk about the love of Jesus. And all of a sudden, prison guards were starting to listen and believe. And people were saying, you got shipwrecked more than once? What the heck happened to you? And Paul was giving a reason for the hope that he had. And if Paul was comfortable in Jerusalem and all of those people say, hey, you believe in Jesus now? Great, sit here with us. He wouldn't have left. And if he didn't leave... The church wouldn't have grown and the story wouldn't have gone and he wouldn't have written all those letters that ask people to believe in Jesus and their lives will be changed. And that's where I think the spirit is most evident in this story. Paul suffered a lot, which meant that the church grew. A healthy and vital church will suffer, will suffer. That's just what we're told. It will suffer. Can we go? Were you able to get that picture up? Um, is there a picture next on the next slide? I don't know. There it is. Okay, it's really hard to see. Um, Jerusalem is down here in the right-hand corner. But every dot you see up there are churches that have been formed because the disciples were uncomfortable or persecuted and had to leave. The church did not just stay in Jerusalem. But it grew. And it grew because people were going through trials and suffering, yet still believing in Jesus and still taking the Spirit with them. A healthy church doesn't mean that everybody will be all hunky-dory and get along all the time. The early church had conflict. Paul did not get along with John Mark at all. They had very different ideas in ministry. I know that doesn't really happen today. But they have very uh, different ideas in ministry. So Paul said, fine, I'm going this way. And John Mark said, fine, I'm going this way. Well, guess what? Paul did all this. And Mark wrote the gospel of Mark and preached to the Jews. God can take that. God can take conflict. God can take strife. And he will make it work for his good. Oh, Paul. I would really like to talk more about Paul. But I don't have time. The healthy church will have troubles, and that's what Jesus tells us. He tells us we will have troubles. He says it. So what do we do? We need to look at him. We need to look at Jesus every time we have a conflict, every time we have trouble. And we need to remember when he said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you sense a theme there? Three times he says it. In Galatians, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This world we live in is filled by a lot of deep, deep hurts. Author N.T. Wright says, As Jesus is to Israel, so is the church to the world. 
so can we start acting like it. Okay, let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you for everything that you are. And we do confess that we get church wrong a lot of the time. We concentrate on our own needs too much and forget the very basics back to the beginning. The very love of Jesus, the very excitement of having his love, of everything he taught. That thrill, Lord, we forget so much. But thanks for forgiving us and giving us the grace that we definitely don't deserve. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are in unhealthy places right now. And please, Lord, lead us in a way that we can help be a refuge for others. Lord, today I want to lift up Texas. I want to pray for those who have lost their lives in the devastation this week, Lord, and pray that you're with their families. I ask you to send your spirit as we go along this week. Help us to spread your love around to those around us, or your love to those around us, and remind us to give a reason always for the hope that we have. I pray this in your name. Amen.